as we prepare to hear God speak to us, let's again go to him in prayer. Father, we do pray that you speak to us. Speak to us through your holy word. Help us to hear these words not as good advice, but as good news. And speak to us, too, through the power of your Spirit. Help us not merely to hear, but to listen, to receive, and to be transformed by your word and your work in us today. And we pray all this in your name. Amen. So this morning, we're continuing our I Am Not My Own series. We're focusing on the prologue to the Ten Commandments, what what God has Moses say to his people right before the Ten Commandments. And, and this has some implications for our identity, especially today, how we live, who we think about ourselves, how we, how we envision our relationships with others. So we're going to read two scripture texts this morning. We're going to read Deuteronomy 5, verses 1 to 4. And then we're going to turn to Hebrews, and we're going to read some from Hebrews. And most of the Hebrews quotation is actually a quotation from the prophet Jeremiah. So we're going to get three for the price of two this morning. You're welcome. Let's begin with Deuteronomy chapter 5, from verse 1 to verse 4. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. And then we're going to turn to the New Testament. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to read from verse 7 to verse 13. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, and this is from the book of Jeremiah, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So this sermon series is called, I Am Not My Own, and one, one implication of that for our identity is that we are not our own, but we belong. So we're going to reflect this morning a bit about how we, will, how we belong, and I'm going to start by having us reflect about some different types of relationships, and this is not a, a scientific or exact categorization, it's more a way to help us think through some of these things, and we're going to talk First, about casual relationships, relationships where we have some benefits, but not really any obligations. So I do a fair amount, not a ton, but a fair amount of premarital counseling, and, and I heard a story once from someone with much more experience than me, and they talked about they were, they were doing ceremony prep with the couple, so they had the groom and the bride, and, and they were standing there planning the wedding in the actual space, 
And one of the things they talked about was the unity candle. And, and this is the table we use for the unity candle here when couples choose to do that. And you put the unity candle in the middle, and then you have, you know, the bride and the groom, and I always get the sides mixed up, whatever. One side's bride, one side's groom. And there's this question that you have to ask as a officiant is, is do you want to both light the unity candle and then blow out your own candle? And then the symbolism is that you have given up your own identity and you have become one new family, one new identity, stepping out of your old families and making a new family. Or do you want to light the unity candle and leave both of your candles lit? And then what you're saying is our old families still matter. We still belong to our extended family. We each are our own person, but we are also united in this new relationship. So this, this officiant asked the couple, which do you want to do? Here's the explanations. You can blow out the candles or you can leave them lit. And the groom thinks for a moment and says, I think what we should do is we should blow out her candle and leave mine lit. <laughs> and that turned from wedding ceremony prep to marriage counseling time. And he got a bit lit up. But isn't that the relationship we all really want? Why don't they give up their identity? Why don't they give up all their things and I get all the benefits? And I have all the freedom in the world, but they still owe me. And isn't that kind of what we all want? That we want relationships where we have a real relationship, where we're connected with people, and where we get all the benefits, but we have no obligations. Isn't that kind of what we want out of a relationship and there are actually times where casual relationships are really good things that maybe your neighbor helps you a little bit there's no obligation it's great that that makes for good communities but in a marriage do you really want benefit without obligation and you know when we come to the lord god so often we come to him and we say yeah i want i want the salvation and i want the eternal life and i want all the benefits but could you keep the obligations to yourself could we blow out your candle leave mine lit is that not, if we are honest, how we all want to relate to God? Give me all the things, but don't make any demands. Let's talk about contractual relationships, too. There's casual relationships, and there's contractual relationships where, where there isn't really that much of a personal relationship, but there are very well-defined benefits and obligations. I do these things for you, and you do those things for me, and I get these benefits from you, and you get these benefits from me, and that's the end of it. And if either of us does not fulfill our obligations, then the other person has legal recourse to, to make us do so or to get out of the contract. Contractual relationships. Now, that, that first story I heard anecdotally, but the second one I heard directly from the source, that, that there was a couple that was in marriage counseling, and they were about five years into their marriage, and things were not going well at all so the wife managed to drag the husband into marriage counseling and they'd been seeing this counselor for months and there was a day there was a day we'll call them bob and betty not their real names but we'll call them bob and betty there was a day when bob and betty were sitting in the counselor's office and they'd gone around again again this last week that betty had said something and bob had totally disregarded her done what he wanted to do anyway and told her just to shut up and get on with the program and the counselor said, well, don't you want to hear what your wife has to say and what her feelings and thoughts are? And Bob said, no, 
I provide housing and food and a car, and her job is to get in line and do what I tell her to do. That is her job as my wife. And he meant it. You can understand why there were some challenges in this marriage, right? But Bob thought they had a great contract going, that he, you know, he, he provided, he worked, he paid the bills, and in return, he got to be lord and master of the household. And Betty was not on board with that anymore. But Bob kept thinking, we got our contract. I do what I do. This is what you get. What's the problem? And you know, often that's how we relate to God. If we aren't in it for kind of the casual sort of relationship, we want God to give us some requirements, and then we fulfill them, and then he owes us. And that is, that is where human beings live. Tell me what to do, I'll do it, and then you owe me. And we want God to give us the minimal requirements, and we want to be able to say, yes, I fulfilled those, and then we want to be able to go to God and say, look, I've earned this. You told me to keep those rules, I kept those rules, now give me a good life. Give me the family I want, give me the job I want, give me the house I want, give me all the things. And there are, there are Christians who will explicitly proclaim that as their theology and how they think God works, that we do what He wants, in return He, he gives us what we want. But you don't get that from the Bible. You don't get that from the Bible. But so often we want a relationship with God that is casual, that is all benefits, no obligations, but we can feel good about it. Or, or we want a relationship with God that is a contract where, where we do what we need to do and then God owes us and, and there's no arguing with that. But there's also no relationship there. And you know, the Lord, the Lord is God, so he could have chosen to have that kind of relationship with us if he wanted to. But what God actually chose is a covenant relationship. And a covenant isn't a word that we use a whole lot, but, but one way that we could think about it is that it is a relationship that, that is a living relationship. It's not just a contract. It's a living relationship. And it does have all kinds of benefits to it. There are things we gain from being in this relationship, but there are also obligations to it. That it has all those dimensions. It is a living relationship with benefits and obligations. And we're going to spend the rest of this sermon reflecting a little bit on, on what God's covenant love for us means, what it means to be in a covenant relationship. And in a sense, marriage, marriage is the best picture we have of the kind of relationship that the Lord wants with us. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve, and they are, they are made for each other, just as we were created to serve the Lord. And the Lord intends for them to live together, to bless each other, to, to not be identical, but, but to live in a way that is mutually helpful and beneficial and loving. So let's go back to Bob and Betty. So quite a few years after that conversation, that marriage counselor's office, I was, I was together out to dinner with Bob and Betty and some other people, and there was an older couple, and the older gentleman, I don't know exactly how he got on this, but he started talking about how wonderful his wife was, which is a great thing to have, let me tell you. And he just was saying, she's made me the man I am today, and there were some really just hard times along the way. We didn't have any money. There was health issues, but she stuck with me, and, and she just made me such a better person. I'm just grateful for her every day of my life, and, and every single year of our marriage has just gotten better and better and better. And his wife just sat there and glowed and nodded along. 
And then he went on, and just every year in marriage, just gets every year in marriage gets better and better and better. And after a while, Bob can't take it any, anymore. And Bob says, "No, uh-uh. Every year does not get better and better. One and a half were pretty good. Two started going downhill. Three was bad. Four was miserable. Five was awful. Six was oh terrible, terrible." Bob says, and then he tells you the story that I, well, he tells me the story I just told you a little bit ago, and then he says, "And you know." Year seven finally started getting better. Because in year seven, I realized that Betty's a real person. And I realized that she still loved me. And I realized that maybe I should start actually loving her. And maybe instead of just having this relationship where, where I provide these things and she does whatever she wants, maybe we should actually like talk about things. And, and maybe we should go to church together. And maybe we should pray together. And maybe we should be on the same page with parenting. And, and Bob just went on and on with all these things that he'd figured out in year seven. And then he said, and now we're in year 22, and yeah, things are getting better. It's been better and better, but first, oh man, years three, four, five, six, oh boy. And his wife is sitting there going, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, you were an idiot, yep. And Bob was like, yeah, yeah, pretty much, I, I, I was, I still am sometimes, but, but it got better. But they had to get out of that mode, and, and Bob specifically, and since he told the story, I feel like we can pick on him a little bit, because he owned it. As long as he was doing the contract thing, their relationship was going south. But when he realized that, that a marriage, that a relationship could be more than that, that it could involve, yeah, benefits and obligations, but it could also involve a deep and abiding love, that was what it took. And all the hours of counseling and all the other things probably helped, but what it really took was for his heart to change, for there to be a real relationship. And that is what the Lord wants for us. So often we come to God and we want less than what he wants to give us. So let's trace this out a bit with Deuteronomy. The Lord, the Lord comes and he makes a living covenant relationship with his people. And I mentioned this at the, the first, uh, first week that we were in this sermon series. But you should note that in Deuteronomy here, God doesn't say, remember the generation before? Remember 40 years ago, back in the day when we were out in the desert and your forefathers were there and I made a covenant with them? Well, that's still binding on you. That's not what God says. What God actually says is, I made a covenant with you who are with me today. And I think when we read that in Deuteronomy 5, that is still God speaking not to people who've come before us, but God speaking to us. This is God coming to us and not saying, way, way back when I, I made this agreement and you're still bound by it. God is coming to us and saying, I made that agreement, I made that covenant with you. And I'm still all in. And it is not that we were all literally there at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, as Deuteronomy calls it, and, and so in some strange metaphorical sense. No, this is... This is that God keeps coming to us and keeps saying, this is a living covenant. I want you to have that lively, loving, deep, vital, enduring relationship with me. God does not want to have a casual relationship with us, and he does not want to have a contract with us. He wants to have a life with us. And so the Lord comes to us today. The Lord comes to us today, and, and just like every week, this is, this is something of a wedding ceremony or a, 
a renewal of the vows as has become kind of trendy the last few years. This is God coming to each of us who belong to him. This is God coming to us as his gathered people and saying, let's renew our vows. Let us again be reminded of and be encouraged in the covenant that we have. Every single Sunday, Deuteronomy 5 comes to life and the Lord comes to us and says, let's renew our relationship. Let us live together. If we look back to all eternity, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they they have always lived in perfect fellowship, perfect love, perfect unity. And what the Lord intends to do is to come and to draw all of us up into His life. We are intended to have relationships that are deeper than we can ever understand in this life. And the Lord comes to you today. And he invites you into that kind of living relationship. The living covenant. But like all covenants, this covenant has obligations. And and one of the obligations is ongoing faithfulness. In verse 1, Moses declares that the people should hear, learn, obey, follow the laws and the decrees. And then it goes into the Ten Commandments and all these things that we're supposed to do to maintain and to build up this relationship. And I wonder, I know for myself, I wonder for all of us how often we actually want to keep the Ten Commandments, let alone how often we do keep them. See, what we want today is we want unbounded liberty, and we want all the authority for ourselves. We want to do what we want, when we want, how we want. And how does that, how does that impact this relationship we have with the Lord? Instead of serving the Lord, we serve our own interests. Instead of honoring the Sabbath, we live as if our time is our own. And instead of honoring the authorities of fathers and mothers, all the authorities God has put above us, we, we do our own thing. Instead of living sacrificially for others, we consume and consume and acquire and accumulate regardless of what that does for the people around us. Instead of remaining entirely, completely sexually pure, we, we just do what we want to do and think we have a right to do what we like with our own bodies. Instead of being content with what we have, we always covet and desire and grasp after more. And you know, in the New Testament, by and large, when Jesus talks about the Ten Commandments, one of the moves he makes is to tighten them, to make it so that none of us can look at the Ten Commandments on any given day and say, yep, I've been faithful there. The covenant requires ongoing faithfulness, ongoing obligation And we fail. We fail, period. Now, if you look at some covenants in the Bible, and you think especially in Genesis 17, there's a covenant that God makes with Abraham. And what Abraham has to do is cut a bunch of animals in half and then walk between them. And the literal word for covenant is to cut a covenant. And the idea is that you would take animals and you would sacrifice them and often cut them in half. And and the sign would be that if I agree to this covenant and I do not keep the stipulations, may I be torn in two. May I be ripped to pieces. And what we find in our covenant with the Lord is that we are always unfaithful. And that in fact, our unfaithfulness to God tears us into pieces. We think that we will be better off if we serve God part of the time and ourselves part of the time, but in fact, that wrecks us. We think we'll be better off if we disobey and disrespect the authorities the Lord has put over us, but but in fact, that just leads to social chaos. 
We think that we'll be better off if, if we just get our own way on this thing or if we get that one more thing that we want. But in fact, all we do is get ourselves on a treadmill where we never have enough. We think if we can make our own identity, finally we will be secure, but all our identities break us down. We all break this covenant the Lord makes with us. And the Lord would be entirely justified, entirely within his rights to walk away and leave us alone. Entirely justified. And yet that is not what the Lord does. See, along with the the obligation of ongoing faithfulness, this covenant the Lord makes with us comes with the benefit of ongoing faithfulness. And the Lord, the Lord is the one who gives us this benefit. When we fail, the Lord provides. And if you read back through the Bible, you know, we sometimes read the Bible as if it's a story of heroes and examples of, of look at this great person who did what we should do and look at that great person who did what we should do and, and look at that great person who did what we should do. And in fact, almost without exception, I know of one exception, almost without exception, the people that the Bible holds up are more like, look at this person. They did some good things, but don't be like them. And look at this person. They did some good things, but don't be like them. And look at this person. They did some good things, but don't be like them. The heroes of the Bible are, are fallen, failing human beings. And the one exception to that is Jesus. If you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, what you see is God's people failing again and again and again and again and being simply unable We are gifted this amazing relationship with the Lord and we are simply unable to keep up our end of the bargain. And so what Jeremiah tells us, what Hebrews reinforces is that it's not enough to have a relationship where we have obligations to get benefits from the Lord. It doesn't work. We can't do it. And so the Lord makes a deeper promise in Jeremiah that he fulfills in the Gospels and then points back to in the later letters in the New Testament. And that promise is that he will go from from telling us what to do to making us able to do it. You see, the Lord isn't really interested in behavior modification. When we think of the law, we should not be thinking of God coming to us and saying, now all of you better behave better or else. One function of the law is to show us that we can't, we cannot behave. And so to bring us to this point, as we, as we talked about last week, that we re- recognize that we need God to change our hearts. By ourselves, we will never keep this covenant. By ourselves, we do not deserve this relationship, but God keeps giving and giving and giving. And Jesus is is the ultimate sign, the ultimate pledge, and the ultimate enactment of that in his life and his death and his resurrection. And what the Lord tells us is that through Jesus' work, he will will take the law from being this obligation, this thing we have to do, and he will write it in our minds and in our hearts so that it is something we get to do, so that we get to have a life with him, so that we can really have that, that flourishing, deep, wonderful relationship that we want. Today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper on this table where we always do, and again, this is the table where we put the unity candle for people who get married here at Faith, and what this supper is is a sign that the Lord, 
that the Lord is bringing us into his family. The Lord, even though he knows how broken we are, even though we have let him down, even though we have cheated on him, even though we have pursued all kinds of wrong relationships, and even though we're going to do it again this week, this supper is a sign that the Lord still loves us, that the Lord still cares for us, that he still considers all of us his spouse, that the church is the bride of Christ who he gave his life for. So today, today the Lord renews his covenant with us. And today this is not about measuring up, this is not about being good enough or working hard enough, this, this is not about any of that. What this is about is that the Lord has chosen us. The Lord has come to us, the Lord has shared his life with us. And so in him we experience true unity, true peace, true life, a relationship that lasts forever. In the grace, the mercy, and the love of Christ, let us live and let us pray. Father, we, we let you down in so many ways. We break our relationship, we cheapen our relationship, we cheat on you. We want you to give us everything and have us give you nothing. And Lord, in your grace, you have given us everything, even though we have nothing to give you. And so, Lord, today we pray that you work through your word, through your supper, and through your spirit, and remind us again, and remind us not just in our ears, but right on our minds and our hearts, that we are not our own, but we belong to you by the work of Christ, and so transform us. Father, for those here who do not yet know that they belong to you, we ask that even today you move them into a living relationship with you. And Lord, for those of us who know that we belong to you and yet know that we let you down over and over again, use this time as a reminder of your unending grace and love for us. Father, help us all to be more and more united to Christ. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.